Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Local New York Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale, and this week I'm speaking with New York Times food and cooking editor Nikita Richardson, who has just launched a brand new newsletter, Where to Eat New York City. And I'm really excited to have had Nikita on the podcast. Uh, Yeah, well, you'll see why. We had a great conversation. It's really interesting to talk with someone... I've, I've, I've had podcasts with a few, more than a few people from outside of like the immediate central New York area. And why am I emphasizing that? Well, I know a fair amount. Most, I know a lot about the food and restaurant scene here in Syracuse and central New York. But times that I've gotten out to Rochester or Buffalo or New York City and spoken to people that are in the food scenes there, um, I usually, it's like I'm talking with somebody from a foreign country <laughs> because a lot of times I'm asking them, well, I'm saying, well, this is how we do things here in Syracuse. What do you, what's it like where you live? And, you know, it's only a couple hours away. Uh, admittedly so, though, the, the, you know, New York City is a, a completely different world and when it comes to fo- the food scene uh, than Syracuse or even arguably the rest of New York State so much larger there's so much more diversity and there's so much more money there and people are you know the a lot of you know if not the epicenter but mo- a lot of new concepts obviously that will hit across the rest of the country are, are probably starting in in a lot of different places but one of those places is new york city so it was really great to talk to nikita get her perspective on things how new york how the covid affected the restaurant scene in new york city um, talking about, you know, her uh, getting started in journalism and getting started into, you know, writing about food and restaurants. And uh, I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to sit down through the computer and, and talk with her. So uh, thank you to Nikita for coming on the podcast. Uh, you can find a link to the newsletter that they've just launched, and uh, you can find the, that link in the show notes uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on, or make sure you just head over to our website at eatlocalnewyork.com, and we're going to have it linked there as well uh, for this episode. If you didn't hear, um, if you didn't see on social media, we've kind of hinted at it, and we hint at it in a couple episodes coming up, but uh, we're starting our own our own restaurant. Uh, I have partnered with our friends at Limp Lizard Barbecue, uh, Chuck and Nick over there, and we're opening up a ghost kitchen. It's not really a ghost kitchen because we're offering takeout, uh, which is not what a ghost kitchen does. And we're starting with really just focusing on takeout, and we're going to offer very little delivery. And then soon we're going to move into uh, really just being delivery-focused. But it's called 3-1 Fried, and I forget if I've talked about the details of this in the past. I know I've hinted at it in, in episodes over the years, but... The story goes, a number of years ago, um, uh, Paul Valenti reached out to me and said, hey, if this restaurant goes out of business, because they were talking about going out of business, what would you put in there? What do you think? And my first immediate reaction was legitimate bone-in fried chicken. Because I, I grew up in Kentucky uh, for most of my life, and and I miss that. I, you know, In Kentucky, I'm not talking about KFC, uh, there, there's other fast food chains, uh, but in Kentucky, there's just a lot of bone-in fried chicken. You know, a family, a weeknight fam, quick family meal, if you're not cooking, is you run to one of those places, you get a bucket of fried chicken and some sides, and you go home. And 
I miss that. We don't really we don't have that anywhere in Syracuse unless you're going to a chain like a Popeyes or a KFC and and who wants to do that? So we um, so that was my idea. It was like bone and fried chicken. And he said, and you know, my thought was you you focus on because this location, this restaurant we were talking at, was very tiny. It had like three or four tables, but it had a counter that was perfect for delivery and takeout. And uh, so that was my response. I said, you know, bone and fried chicken, just focus on delivery and takeout. Have some craft beer, have a couple bar seats there. And he said, I love the idea. What would you call it? And without ever having thought about this before, the name just popped into my head, 3-1 Fried. I remember this really specifically because I believe it was a Sunday and I was sitting in front of my television playing Madden on my PlayStation 4, drinking a beer, having a nice day off, and it just like hit. And as soon as we, and we were just texting, and he was like, I love it, let's do it. Um, I had a logo made on Fiverr that looked like shit, and then that was pretty much the extent of everything. Um, throughout the years, especially during the pandemic, in the early days of the pandemic, because I'm friends with so many cooks and chefs that were out of business and who were wanting to you know, experiment and, and do more crafty things, um, I was trying to get through and fried to be a legitimate business that we were going to start and just do like pop-ups over at the Salt City test kitchen that they have on Salina. And we got as far as with one guy, you know, making a hypothetical menu and that was it. And it just sat there for, you know, time, right. For years and nothing ever happened with it. Um, and then lo and behold, four or five, you know, three or four months ago, me and Nick were talking from Limp Lizard and, and saying we should do a ghost kitchen concept out of the North Syracuse location for Limp because that's prime, that's built for takeout and delivery. And after about a few weeks of going back and forth thinking about burger places, I said, well, why don't we just do the 3 one fried concept I have and do really great fried chicken sandwiches. And from that point on, uh, you know, he loved it. It, I, it hit with me again. It kind of came back to life and, um, we just went to work. And so we started putting everything in place. I spent about two weeks at home working on different recipes for, um, the brine and for the, you know, for the breading, for the flour, going back and forth between chicken breast and chicken thigh. And then we spent about three weeks up at their test kitchen, uh, up at the pier and we spent about three weeks up there going back and forth between different fry times and and kind of locking down things. But then we went then we moved to the North Syracuse location where we really started to to lock stuff in. And we spent, I don't know, maybe a month and a half or two months really perfecting our chicken recipe, deciding between chicken thigh or chicken breast and size of the chicken breast and locking down the breading and the seasonings and the spices and the cook time and uh, you know, the brine and just everything that we were doing and then really hammering out the menu. So we spent a lot of time perfecting this. I spent a lot of time researching other fried chicken sandwich spots all over the country to see what they were doing and get ideas for flavors. And so We've now put together five really solid chicken sandwiches and one loaded tater tot uh, item that we're just really excited about. Um, we're opening up this Friday, April 1st. It's not an April Fool's joke. For the time being, we're going to be open weekends only, uh, Thursday through Sunday, mostly for dinner, open for lunch on Sunday. 
And right now it's open. We're actually taking pre-orders. Um, and because a lot of restaurants that open up in Syracuse have just gotten hammered with business and just, you know, it becomes too busy for them and then mistakes start happening that we've decided in an effort to limit that and make sure that we can serve the best possible food that we're going to limit our orders to four orders every 15 minutes uh, for the hours that we're open, and that's 4 to 9 p.m. And it's going to be takeout only for the first couple weekends. Um, like I said, just so that way we, we make sure we don't just turn the floodgates, you know, open the floodgates and then just get crushed and start putting out, you know, food that just isn't great and experiences that aren't phenomenal. Um, because, you know, a kitchen can only handle so much. And if you turn, you know, I've seen all these restaurants open. You know, the, the, the apps are turned on and the lights are kicked on and the door is unlocked. And then all of a sudden, 200 orders flood in. And it, there is not a kitchen in the world that can handle business like that in such a short amount of time. So we're really just trying to make sure that we can do it well. So I've talked a lot about that. You can head to our website at 31Fried. It's the number three, the number one, and then the word fried.com. And uh, place your pre-order, see what our menu is, see, you know, just a little bit more about the business. And you can also follow us online on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at 31Fried. And we're just excited about it. So I'd love to have everybody come out, get a sandwich, let me know what you think about it. And yeah, I'm really excited. You know, I've been, for the last six years, we've been doing Eat Local New York. And in that time, I've been doing the social media marketing and content creation for a number of restaurants. I've helped you know, like Mad Burger, you know, they hired us to do their brand development and help them get open. And so we created the name and the logo and and did all the social media for that business. And I've helped rest other restaurants open. And it's really been over the past, over the, that time, I've had the list of things that I've seen businesses do that I loved. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, that's a great idea. I'm going to keep that for one day. I've seen businesses do things that I think that's awful. You should never do that. I need to make the note to not do that kind of stuff. And um, I've also had ideas that I just, I, you know, from different business that I'm like, I, I'm, you know, I've, I'm, I'm in your business. I'm helping you. That here's an idea. They don't take it, so I'm going to keep it for myself. And I'm excited to finally being being able to uh, implement some of that kind of stuff and the ideas that I have for restaurants. And, um, and also to be partnering with Limp Lizard Barbecue. I mean, I cannot think of a better brand or better family of people than to be partnering with Limp Lizard Barbecue, an established restaurant brand that has been around Syracuse and Central New York for years and years and years and years, and has been so successful. And on top of that, has done so much for the community. Um, it's just, it's really, you, you couldn't ask for a better situation to open up a restaurant or a better group of people to partner with. So really excited and looking forward to that. Well, I'm going to stop talking about myself. We're going to get into this conversation with Nikita Richardson. And remember, make sure you go and subscribe to her new, her new newsletter, uh, where to eat New York city. And again, the link for that is in our show notes. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Nikita Richardson. I'll have you introduce yourself, but you are a uh, food and cooking editor at the New York Times, is that correct? Yep, that's correct. 
um, Nikita Richardson. I joined the Times at the end of 2020 and uh, working on basically mostly editing stories, sometimes bringing in like working with recipes, but mostly editing stories. And uh, previously I'd been at Grub Street at New York Magazine as a staff writer. And um, I was an editor at Bon Appetit like five years ago. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I've just been in journalism for a while though, since about 2014 or so. But I always kind of kept on coming into food like all the time. Yeah. Because I like to eat too much. Like I love eating. So I was like, so wherever I was, I was like, what if we, there's a food angle here, right? And there's always a food angle. <laughs> now, so you were at Bon Appetit five years ago. I don't know uh, if she was still there. Do you know someone by the name of Rochelle Bilo? No. Okay. Rochelle used to write uh, there and I forget where she's writing now. Um, but anyways, we went to high school together and she was uh, at Bon Appetit for a little bit. <laughs> Um, so yeah. So how did you first, uh, get into food? Like what led you to, uh, want to start writing about the food scene and restaurants and cooking? I think, um, I'll, I would have to trace it back kind of to when I was, um, I moved up here to for grad school from Georgia. I'm originally from the Atlanta area and I, um, didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a psychologist, which was my major in undergrad. So I was like, I like writing. Let me go to journalism school. And so I got into NYU and um, my second semester, I had like a very rough start, but then my second semester, I kind of really found my footing and I was in a class called Eating New York. And it was all about like our teacher, my professor, Meryl Gordon, she would take us to dim sum and we went to La Bernadette and like took us around to kind of experience eating in New York City. And then we also had to write a profile or like a long story. And I ended up cold emailing um, Carla Miracci, who's the chef at Roberta's. (laughs) And I was like, hi, can I profile you for my graduate class? And he said yes because he had also gone to NYU and uh I ended up spending like three like three nights there and he had just opened Blanca um and so I was like shadowing him and I got like to talk to his dad I'm still friends with his dad on Facebook and like um just all these different things and I kind of was like hey this is like really fun and I found you know, chefs and people in food are just a little more easygoing because after I left, like uh, after grad school and um, my first real job was at Fast Company magazine where I'm like talking to CEOs and other like business people and the responses are always very canned and very, you know, like they have to toe the company line, of course. And I found chefs and people in food to just be so much more candid and upfront and, um, and that has kind of proven out even years later. There's, of course, you have different levels of openness where you're like when you're doing like a massive restaurant group versus a chef with like a, a hole in the wall place. But all in all, it's definitely a more, um, more approachable crowd, <laughs> I'd say. And then also like people just love it. Like food is anywhere I've ever worked. Everyone, you know, I worked at places with where people cover everything, but people always like want to be around the food people because the food people always have free food near them or <laughs> they know where to go eat or that, you know what I mean? It's, it's just like the people like everyone loves food. So it's the most fun group to always be about like to be around those people. Yeah. 
It's, um, I find it, I don't know how you feel about it today. I've always found stories about food to be more fascinating when I am talking about the people that are behind a concept, behind a restaurant or, you know, the staff, the chef, the owner, whoever it is. Um, and sometimes I can find myself, uh, not talking so much about the food, but talking about the person, you know, instead, um, and kind yeah. of their experiences. Uh, what was it like going from fast company to, well, you did the profile in, in school, but what was it like going from, you know, fast company to then was your next, uh, jump right into food from there? Yeah. So right after that, I had a editor who had been at fast company who told me bone appetites looking for an assistant editor. And, um, you know, I didn't know, I still didn't know a ton about food. Um, these were very much the lean day, the lean years. <laughs> so it wasn't like I was going out to nice restaurants or anything like that. I was just kind of cooking for myself a lot. But I ended up getting the assistant editor job at Bon Appetit. And that was a whirlwind of a year. I was only there for one year because then they had layoffs at Condé. And um, I ended up losing my job. But it was definitely like, um, really interesting, though, to see how food works when you're not only writing about restaurants, but you're also writing about how recipes are made. And so I got to see all those different parts of it and put it together for a magazine every month. And I've always really loved working in magazines and it's a very visual medium. And I had some, I worked with like uh, some good folks who really, you know, cared about good packaging on things. I thought that was a really valuable part of the experience. And then after I got laid off from there, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back into food again. Um, their food jobs aren't plentiful. <laughs> um, anyone can tell you that it's not like pop culture where there's like, you know, 60 different, you know, jobs at any one moment. This is something like, you know, maybe a few good jobs open up at any one time at any of like the major publications. Um, I want to take a moment and remind you about our Sangria Crawl coming up April 16th. We're so excited for this. Dinosaur Barbecue has just joined the list, the growing, growing list. So now we have uh, eight different spots to hit up for sangrias, and it's going to be a really great time. The, the first ever Sangria Crawl through downtown Syracuse. You can buy tickets online for just $20 at eatlocalnewyork.com. They go up to $25 after April 1st and $30 the day of the event. But come and join us for severely discounted sangrias from 2 to $4 at each spot. And then we're going to go to the rail line for a fun party. Live music from Joe Driscoll. Free dinner from Limp Lizard Barbecue. Free sangria donut from Glazing and Fuse. A free Eat Local New York card and an open bar. It's going to be one hell of a time. So make sure you join us. Head to eatlocalnewyork.com and get your tickets today. And now, back to the episode. So, but then, I don't know, the timing just really worked out. Um, at Grub Street and they had just lost a longtime editor there and so they were hiring in a new staff writer mm -hmm. and I put my name in and it was like extremely quick got the email like the same day being like interview and I was like okay <laughs> um, I had been an intern at New York Mag when I was um, in graduate school actually for one summer and fall so it was kind of cool because I got to come back exactly five years later and be part of the team and start you know, covering. And I thought it was, I think it was easier for me too, because Bon Appetit was a national magazine. So you're, you have to know all these restaurants across the entire United States. Um, and you had to like memorize all this stuff, but like New York, it's like the backyard shrink significantly, <laughs> even though New York has so much going on, it's still like, okay, cool. 
I don't have to really, I don't have to go too far out of my way. Like it's all here. I don't, you know what I mean? And so getting to shrink the, um, the kind of landscape that I was studying made my life so, so much easier. And then it was kind of, um, much easier to pick up from there. And around the time I got there too, they did a massive update to their restaurants, like their restaurant search engine thing at New York mag. And so that was kind of a chance for me to see places that maybe opened like, you know, six, seven years ago that we're not really talking about anymore, but they've kept on going around. They have like, you know, they have, they're still popular in those places that I necessarily wouldn't have known about because when they were first opening again, the lean years. So I kind of, um, I feel like that was a really good, and I was there for two years just covering. And of course I was there literally right when the pandemic hit, <laughs> like, uh, I was, uh, you know, in the office one day and they said somebody tested positive for COVID in our building, not on our staff, hmm. um, but in our building. And we're going to send you guys home and we think you'll be back by the end of the week. <laughs> and <laughs> obviously we were not back by yeah. the end of the week. Um, and then it was just like, I was at, I was at Grub Street for two more months after that. I ended up taking another job on another team um, just for reasons of like, it was, I, it would just, it was going to be like a lot easier for me in my career at that time. And so I was, but I was there in that really tense period when restaurants, you know, that weekend where restaurants didn't know what was happening. They're mm -hmm. like, are we shutting down? And people were going out. I had like my last supper kind of at, um, Hearts. I went to brunch with my friend and then I think it's Monday the 15th of March or something like that. Then that's when the edict kind of comes down. We're done. No more indoor dining. Mm -hmm. And of course, outdoor dining wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. And so and then came all the GoFundMes. And I mm. um, I turned around a story in under 24 hours of just calling around a restaurant like to restaurateurs saying like, what's happening? Like you have a GoFundMe and the, and it was people just being like, I just laid off my entire staff this morning. And, um, it was devastating. And, um, I ended up like compiling a list of, you know, every single, um, you know, GoFundMe I could find and having people message me mm. like, you please put this on the list. And, you know, I think people, it was hard. Cause like, no one like the amount of money that they needed to keep afloat was not in was a really hard number to come up with at that time like you're yeah. saying we need 80k and it's like okay but mo like no, most restaurants don't have the kind of like you know customer base even if they have regulars who can just raise 80k in a night yeah. you know what i mean and and add to that when every restaurant needs 80k in one night it's a really hard task so um and then, you know, through the summer, I kind of watched the, you know, pivoting, <laughs> hate that word, but, you know, the pivoting, <laughs> the outdoor dining, the markets, the everything, you know, the emerge like the, you know, slapdash cookbooks for yeah. fundraising, the, you know, every little part of it and just um, going out to pop-ups when people were like, we need people to come out and do these and just kind of trying to like be part of it and do what I could and 
trying to like kind of focus on what restaurants I was like, I was like, where, who do I really need to still be there after this is over? You know what I mean? And where, who, where's my, where am I most loyal as a customer and kind of going to those places a lot. And, um, and then also, you know, um, I, one of the first things I did when I came to the times was pitched a whole story about how, you know, there was this idea, this understanding that like, oh, this was devastating to restaurants and it was, but it also, I think, gave people a much, much better understanding of what was in the neighborhoods where they lived. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if if you have any concept of what it was like, what it's like to live in New York before, it's like you spent all your time in the city at work because most people's jobs are in the city. Mm-hmm. And then you come home and you or maybe you go to a restaurant in the city or whatever, but you don't really know what's in your own backyard because you end up going home just to sleep a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, so I feel like and um, Julia Moskin did this sto- ended up writing out the story about this one block in Ditmas Park. And all these businesses were like, it's like we met the people who lived here for the first time mm. because suddenly no one's not no one's going to go much further than their neighborhoods during the height of the pandemic. We weren't. I was just sticking around in Bed-Stuy, going around to places that were in like a 30-minute walk from me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so kind of finally exploring my own backyard for the first time, even though I've lived in the same apartment for, I can't even, like almost half a decade. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people have the exact same experience um, if they've um, if they've found themselves not really being as much of an explorer before. Yeah. It was uh, the early days of the pandemic were interesting. You know, we're here in Syracuse, which is uh, uh, the greater Syracuse area has about 400,000 people. Um, So pretty small. But um, I recorded a podcast with a local chocolatier on what was supposed to be the St. Patty's Day parade here in Syracuse. And it was the first day of 50% indoor dining. And so... Mm -hmm. Uh, he and I on the podcast are talking about, yeah, this sucks, but it's only two weeks and everything will be back to normal. And, and, um, I wound up editing that interview about a month later and just thinking about how stupid I was. Exactly. I think everyone thinks they were like so stupid at that point. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So there was, um. I wasn't sure in the early days if we were going to go for a little bit there. It felt like we were going to go back to Mayberry a little bit. I mean, there was um, there's a really nice restaurant here in Syracuse called Eden, and it is a completely wood fired restaurant. And uh, most of what they source is from local farms here in upstate New York and the Finger Lakes. And so they started what they called the Eden Fresh Network, and they were just buying produce and meat and dairy from these local farms and then selling it on their website and delivering it, you know, right to their door once a week, twice a week. And, um, for a moment there, I thought we were going to kind of go backwards in time. I thought we were going to get hyper localized and people were going to come out of the pandemic and, and be more focused on that. You know, I mean, I, I, I made more sourdough bread and pizza and during the pandemic than I ever have in my life. And we got chickens for our backyard and started raising, you know, chickens and, (laughs) and we still, we live in, you know, just outside of the city of Syracuse. So 
Um, so we had seven chickens running around and I was like, this is what the world is going to be like now. And now here we are two years later and that's not the case. No, I think people always will like, there's like, even as much as the pandemic turned a lot of people, a lot of us into homebodies, I think at the end of the day, we're still people who seek connections outside Mm. our houses and that, and you know, you can only do the homesteading thing <laughs> for so long before you're like, you know what? I don't want to cook dinner tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it, uh, it, it, that did not last too long as things started to open back up for us. But um, how has like, well, how did your writing change from um, just before the pandemic to even today? I think that honestly, the pandemic turned me into a much more thoughtful and just kind of like, I think thoughtful in the sense of understanding how many things are at work. Like you were just saying about how when a restaurant shuts down, it doesn't just affect the restaurant. It affects produce. It affects Mm -hmm. the people who come and pick up that restaurant's, you know, laundry. It affects, you know... So it affects so many different people that go and then you have to think the employees, these a lot of employees are not the people who are interviewing. Right. It's people who are living, you know, maybe an hour out from the restaurant and coming in every day to do, you know, prep work and all these different things. And it's a it's literally a restaurant is a living, breathing thing with many, many component parts to it and people. And so, you know. I think understanding restaurants from it on a more, um, I don't know, I guess macro level has been really, really um, interesting to me and has, you know, and also understanding that the industry itself. Well, make sure you pick up your Eat Local New York card. That way you can save $5 whenever you go out to eat at a participating restaurant and spend $25 or more. There's over 160 participating restaurants all across New York State, and it's a great way to get out there, support local, and save money while doing so. Head to eatlocalnewyork.com and pick up your card today. And now, back to the episode. Was was very, very broken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of discomfort with people about even, like, what we're still not fully out of the woods. And I think that, like, there's, and and I feel like there's still a kind of, tension about well are are we going to return to the low wages are we going to return to the back breaking work with very few breaks and you know all those you know problems because right now restaurant industry is still facing a labor shortage and there's always been labor issues in restaurants because you know they oh my internet connection is unstable i'm sorry (laughs) no you're Um, fine don't worry about it Sorry, let me, is it better now? Okay. Um, But, you know, we've, like, there's always been this kind of uh, a labor issue with, you know, staffing turnovers. That's a constant in restaurants. But now we're, they're experiencing um, um, struggles even getting people to take a job because I think many people who were doing it before the pandemic have really sat down and asked themselves, why would I go back to that? Mm -hmm. And... You know, I see, and this is even at restaurants that you would say, they're so popular, they must have no problem attracting talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. It's 
across the board, top to bottom, you know, big restaurant groups to small places. It doesn't matter. Everyone's having a hard time getting talent because there need to be these fundamental changes. And it's hard to make those fundamental changes when you're coming out of a period of profound, profound um, distress and, you know, financial instability. Yeah. Um, like I said, I think it really caught restaurants unaware. The, the margins are already razor thin. And how do you, um, and you, without that cushion, it, the bottom really fell out. And I don't think anyone ever, ever, ever wants that to happen again, regardless of, I mean, not, whether you're a owner or a diner or an employee or, you know, a, any of these things, it's, it was really, I think, devastating. And I would, and I want to see, I, for me as a reporter and, you know, and as an editor, I just want to like kind of think of it as a how where do we move on how how do we create a better restaurant industry and then also i think that what really struck me is you know last year during or last year two years ago almost well during the george floyd protests and black lives matter it also inspired a lot of um employees to call out really bad actors in the industry Mm -hmm. and you know that's always happened at kind of a slowish pace pretty you know but like it i feel like it it really kicked it up a notch during that and people feeling more empowered to speak up against bad you know chefs and um managers and all that Mm. and you know i think i it just i just feel like it's made me really just want to not take anyone at their word anymore Mm. Just as like, oh, I'm a good guy and or I'm a good mm. woman and I support my employees because it's because if you went and because but you can't it's hard to access those employees. You know, many are afraid to speak because they don't want to lose their jobs. It's a, you know, it can be an insular industry. And so, you know, the, we've seen so many places that were getting, you know, massive praise turn out to have not great people. And I and I think just like being more conscientious Mm-hmm. about how we paint um, figures in food has never been more important. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if you, if, if you're like me in this regard, but I, I found, you know, doing this now for six years that as I, there's sometimes the chefs or the restaurant owners, if I, if I fall in love with a restaurant, I'm there all the time. And so and then I get to know them more. And um, I like to keep my chefs and restaurant owners up on the pedestal. <laughs> and um, and so as I get to know them more, maybe I'll hang out with them one night after service. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, but I don't I don't like what I just saw. Um, I don't, yeah. it, you know, maybe not necessarily in who the person is, but even just like, oh, that's how the that's how it works back in the operations behind the curtain. Um, and that bums me out. So I try to keep now, if, if I like really like a restaurant for the first couple of visits, I try to keep a distance. Um, yeah. is that challenging for you, you know, to like be able to separate, um, you know, okay, this is the, this is the place I know the, re- the chef that I know that's, he's been at these few restaurants. She's been at these few restaurants. Is it hard for you to kind of separate that from what you're writing about and what you're covering? Um, I would say that it's 
Well, one, at the times, the level of ethics is so high that (laughs) technically I should have no friends who are chefs or anything like that. But, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. Of course, you're going to have one or two or three. Everyone has a few people that they're friends with who are chefs or in the industry. And, you know, but I think it's just that distance just always has to exist. And especially in, you know, if you're covering the industry, mm-hmm. if you're not, you know, go off, have fun. But, um, you know, I think it's just one of those things as well, where just because you're friendly with somebody or what, or what have you, like, you know, it's the same way. It's the same thing that happened with me too. It's like, believe women. Well, like if someone tells you that this person is not great, like believe them They're, They have mm-hmm. a reason for it. You know what I mean? And then, you know, and I think like, that that's how everything is with being within the times as well is knowing that, well, anyone, you know, could always become a subject of coverage at any time, anytime. You don't mm-hmm. know when it's going to happen. You don't know. Things come out of left field all the time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, keeping that like keeping that in the back of my mind is very, very important that anyone could become a subject at any time. And yeah. at, and then at that point, you need to you know and make it extremely clear like i'm a journalist mm-hmm. first and foremost, like that's my job i'm a journalist i cover things that are newsworthy and so take that as you will yeah <laughs> yeah um so what are some of those things that you have what are like the the industry changes that you've seen from the early days of covid to today in in new york hmm I mean, well, obviously outdoor dining has been the, you know, we have, we have a lot of not in my backyard folks in New York city. So, um, (laughs) there are people who are like outdoor dining is the absolute worst thing that's ever happened. (laughs) And it definitely has, it definitely has its drawbacks, you know, Mm -hmm. like there it's been, it's not perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, not every outdoor seating arrangement is going to be aesthetically pleasing, but it, I feel like it has been one of the most exciting things that's ever happened ever. Like it turned New York into Europe overnight, <laughs> literally overnight. Like, and the, I think the best thing is that the outdoor dining is in every neighborhood. It's mm-hmm. every neighborhood. Like it's not just in the nice parts of Manhattan. It is on my block and we've lost parking spots, but I'm, and I have a car and I'm still like, I don't care. It's <laughs> worth it because uh, it like, well, one, it's allowing restaurants to add on tables. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, they have the, if they have the bandwidth for it, that's an amazing boon to them because that's, that can be, that can be double doubling your seating yeah. like overnight. And then it just, and we do have this summer weather. Like I'm from Georgia. Summer in New York is not even that different from summer in Georgia. The only difference is Georgia has more 90 degree days. Mm -hmm. Um, but New York is just as hot. So, you know, we, it's amazing to have that. Like I've, I've loved the advent of outdoor dining. Honestly, I think it's made the city just the landscape of the city so much richer. And you have this kind of, it makes the people watching even better (laughs) in a city that already has primo people watching. Um, I mean, also, we just lost a lot of really good places. A lot of chefs left, um, you know, some, but, you know, there's been a kind of 
goodish side to that too in that chefs are leaving to go back home or to some other smaller city mm -hmm. and they're opening amazing restaurants in smaller cities. Yeah. So, you know, I... New York is New York will always be inundated with great restaurants. Right. I like I want great restaurants everywhere. So I think that I think that is um, there's two sides to that coin in my opinion. Um, but it has been you know losing Uncle Boone's. I think people will never get over that. Um, but yeah, and then I feel like just like I said, generally a kind of hopefully caution around creating that rainy day situation so that we hopefully never have to go through this again. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, the people at Dame that a very, very popular restaurant down here, um, they're opening a new place. And I saw them recently like sharing their financials cause they're opening this new place and they got it in, they got it in like funded in record time. Mm. Um, but they were like, we're putting aside a hundred K for reserves. Wow. And I was like, yes, yeah, $100,000. That if you know if you know God forbid some new thing that we don't have a vaccine for comes sweeping through a hundred k could go an extremely long way. Yeah, for you sure. know it could, and and I think it also created this kind of you know I think I, I can I can relate it to this. When I got laid off, I was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But then <laughs> I saw I went like four months. I was a nanny, and I figured it out, and I made it work, and I it proved to myself that if the bottom falls out, I could survive um and i feel like mm -hmm. for restaurants there's been the like a very similar thing you know the ones that were able to make it through that like i don't think everyone should have to sh no one should ever have to struggle like that again but i think it kind of has created these avenues for how do we keep on going um i think people mm -hmm. started doing market like you know making products that they can sell or creating markets or just like you know just different income flows that aren't just people coming to restaurants and they're also mm -hmm. raising menu prices which is <laughs> if you know anything about how restaurants work the like i said margins are so thin and people are not used to paying for food what it actually costs to eat so mm. now i think it's been obviously it's been a really horrible growing pain i think for certain folks and of course if you are not made of money it makes dining out harder yeah but the truth is that whether we have inflation or not ingredients cost more than they're being sold for mm -hmm. and restaurants need more of a cushion than they have before they can't just sell things for so little yeah just to satisfy a customer anymore um i think those have been some of the major one changes i think just off the top of my head yeah we are um i'm actually uh opening up a restaurant next week uh, a ghost. I heard. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, um, and it's really interesting being on this, on this side of, of the game because seeing, you know, first of all, coming up with, and I've helped open a couple other restaurants doing like branding for, for them, um, over the past two years, but being on this side and seeing all that goes into it is very eye opening. Um, it's definitely, you know, going to help me, you know, give me a little bit more grace for, you know, the next clients that I work for to understand, you know, how much they have going on. But I, yeah. I will, the, the food cost aspect to it, going through it and saying, I, I've, I've heard for the last two years, restaurant owners just say, 
how much everything has gone up in price and, you know, from containers to food to you name it. And seeing what our food cost is going to be for one of these chicken sandwiches, I'm thinking this is like, if this is the price today, what on earth was it three years ago? Like, I mean, <laughs> I just, I, yeah, like, I, it, it's, it's hard to comprehend like, okay, this is what I'm paying today. What were you paying before all of this started? Um, yeah. So it's been really interesting to see that. Uh, we had friends who during the pan in the middle, like right in the middle of the first year of the pandemic, they were just talking about how slow they were and, um, you know, cost. It was like really kind of the first push for everything's going to be so much more expensive now. And so I told them, I said, uh, you should raise your prices. Like you're still, you haven't raised your prices in, you know, two years before this, you should do it. Everyone else is. And so they did. And that next weekend, my wife and I went for dinner and we sat down and we went to grab the menu and the owner ran out to the table. He said, Hey, I took your advice. We raised our prices. Everything's been going great now. It's wonderful. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. And I looked at the menu and I about had a heart attack with how expensive everything was. <laughs> so, yeah. um, it is, it's, it's, uh, it's just really interesting to see, you know, uh, I have to be cautious of how I say this. I still have massive respect for anybody who will take the risk to open a restaurant. I mean, of all things. I mean, it's just, there's no cheap way into it. You know, you can't really no. like MacGyver to get, even if you do, it's still expensive to open a restaurant with everything yeah. that you need. Um, yeah. But I am surprised how many people I like prior to the pandemic, I would have thought, well, you must be a genius if you have this restaurant and you're a popular, like you must be one of the smartest business people that exist in our area. And then to see all the guessing that goes into decisions, it's like, oh, you got, you all really need a lot more help, you know? Hey, everybody, make sure you get out there and check out 3-1 Fried, our first ever restaurant. We're so excited about best fried chicken sandwich in all of Syracuse Head to 3-1-Fry, that's number three, the number one, and the word fry.com, and check us out today. And now, back to the episode. Yeah, I well, I think because restaurants, most restaurants don't have CEOs, right? right? Like, you are the chef, you're the CFO, you're, you're every single position in one. Yeah. And that, and you, and a lot of, it's not like, every chef has gone to business school. Mm -hmm. These are, you know what I mean? It just kind of, you know, it's a very, very hard. And even with a great accountant, it can be hard. Like that's why these restaurant groups, which have, you know, which basically have are run like corporations, they can like, you know, they know how to handle every single dollar. When you're a small restaurant, you have to really, it's like a, you're learning on the job. I feel, mm -hmm. I feel like, um, yeah which can be very difficult, which is why it's like, it, it has to be a labor of love, right? Because what, like, why else would anyone go, like do it without that love? You need that love to want to do it. And I think that's what makes restaurants so, you know, awesome is that everyone who's like, it's never, I don't think it's ever easy ever, mm -hmm. ever, 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 even for the most successful places. I don't think it's ever easy. And so, and that's why you're, it's really a service industry 
going to eat out is and being served food like that is they're doing a service for you and yeah. it's bringing pleasure to your life and the rewards are not like you know it's not riches and all this other thing it's basically like just hopefully having somebody say wow that was delicious <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and paying and tipping well right. um and so i it just has to be and like that's why like i'm really excited for the newsletter that I'm the reason I'm here, I guess. <laughs> um, I like this newsletter I just launched about where to eat in New York city. Yeah. And, you know, I've gotten a million emails already about like, I live not in New York city. I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> it goes a little beyond. It goes a little beyond. It's okay. We're going, I'm going to hopefully try and get to a lot of different places, but for now, yeah. just trying to look in my own backyard. <laughs> um, but you know, like I, feel like it's coming at right like just the right time i feel like the fact that the newsletter launched the day after the first day of spring mm -hmm. is perfect because it's like i feel like now two years into, into the pandemic and now after like a year of having widespread vaccinations and you know it's still not over even like you know they they lifted the mask mandate in new york yeah. and even i'm still a little bit yeah you know, shaky about it. Like New York city went through it. They saw the worst yeah. of it. This was the epicenter. You know what I mean? And so we'll always be a little bit shaky, but you know, I feel like the last two years I just kind of, you know, had let, you know, the pleasure of going out to eat kind of fade into the background. Cause for the first year there was no indoor dining. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for the second year, it's like slowly coming back. Right. So, and then of course in December here, we had a huge COVID wave, yeah. which I think almost sent people back in into hiding because it, we're lucky it, it like, you know, rose and crashed relatively quickly, I'd say. Um, but like in December, it seemed like, are we about to start round two of, all the shutdowns restaurants were closing cause they couldn't staff. Um, yeah. cause so many people had COVID. Uh, I, I got COVID in December, um, mm. after not having had it since the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, I'm lucky I had a very mild case of oh, it. Um, but like, um, you know, I think now we're kind of seeing it come back to life and I, and I'm seeing, and even more, I'm seeing people opening restaurants, Yeah, <laughs> which is feels so insane, but it's, awesome and like there's new restaurants opening and i and i'm like and it's just proof that you like you really can't keep the new york city dining scene down like you can try but you can't like it it just like there's a hunger for new restaurants always and people love to open them and so you know it's awesome to get to i'm like i was just going through my calendar of like where i've eaten this month and i've already hit like 20 places in one month and i'm like i'm like this is great. Like some of them are not new. Some of them are new. It's a mix, yeah. but it's mostly just knowing like, okay, we're doing this again, guys. Like reservations are so hard to get right yeah. now because everyone just wants to go out and eat. Um, and so I feel like it's a perfect time. Hopefully fingers, fingers crossed that nothing, you know, everything has an asterisk on it now. Yeah. So, <laughs> You never know. Um, but hopefully, hopefully this is like the right time to finally like sit down and be like, okay, guys, dining is back on right. in New York. Like, let's do it again. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah. And, and I just hope that like by this time next year, we're going to be having, you know, 
it, everyone will be able to breathe much easier, yeah. hopefully, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like this summer yeah. is going to be, uh, uh, you know, we have, um, we have a few restaurants we work with down in like the Rockland County, Hudson Valley area, uh, Beacon and New City and, uh, and Congers and, um, uh, Nyack. Uh, but, and my, my brother who, who works with us a little bit, he lives down in Congers. Um, and yeah, it's a completely different climate down there for a lot of, uh, indoor and outdoor dining. Um, have you, I want to get to the newsletter a, a more, but I just want to ask you this one question before we do that. Have you noticed, are there a lot of the restaurants opening or, well, I guess I should phrase it as, do you notice a lot more or newer restaurant groups opening like starting or restaurant groups opening new restaurants, or does it seem like it's still like independence? Because up here in our area, it's a lot of, we never knew what a restaurant group was. And all of a sudden, like seven <laughs> of them have popped up uh, over the past year. Yeah, I think it's definitely a mix here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, New York obviously has so many. We have like major food yeah. group. We have... Union Square Hospitality Group, we have, you know, I could, like, the list goes on and on. I think it's really, uh, it's both. Yeah. Um, I think the, we're trending very heavily in the direction of new places opening in the city mm. because they're anticipating return to office yeah. and trying to kind of get things ready for that you know, after work crowd and, you know, coming and, and tourists, mm -hmm. obviously they like hoping for a big tourist summer. Um, and I have to say my inbox, the day, the same day, the newsletter launched my inbox filled up with emails from people who do not live in the city who are like, I'm visiting. Can you help me? Hmm. Unfortunately, I can't help every single, I'm not a concierge. <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone who I wasn't able to help, but you know, like, but there's people who like, they want to visit and they're like, where do I go eat? Like I haven't been to New York in forever or I'm coming for the first time. And so yeah. um, there's Manhattan West, which is right next to Hudson Yards, mm -hmm. which, um, and they're distinct from each other. I guess they're separated by 10th Avenue. Mm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that is filling up with very fancy places. Mm. Chi Chishiamo, a new Italian place from Danny Meyer that I went to last weekend. How was Very it? good. Yeah. Um, from Danny Meyer and his chef, Hillary Sterling. And then, you know, um, Casa Danny and all these different places. And then Rockefeller Center mm -hmm. is building out now to become like the fancy dining spots for the east side of the city. Mm -hmm. And they've gotten, but they're like kind of doing more people. They're working with more chefs who are local to New York City. Yeah. So like Greg Backstrom and Ignacio Matos, people who we who've already established themselves in New York and have a couple of restaurants under their belt already. So I, I find that one really interesting because I think it's very, very um, not, I think it's supposed to really appeal to New York City dining enthusiasts who know the scene pretty well. So that's pretty nice. Um, but yeah, I and then but I also am just seeing little just little projects pop up all over the place from yeah. like people who had maybe a pop up during the pandemic being like time to become a restaurant yeah. or, you know, um, I and, you know, with the real estate, I think, you know, these landlords are eager to fill out spaces. No one was going anywhere, right? So I don't I don't know this for a fact. I need to talk to people about it and I'm very interested in it. But like 
I feel in my mind, I feel like it would be easier to rent a restaurant space now mm-hmm. because we lost and like there's so there were so many empty storefronts um, unlike renting apartments, which is now apparently impossible, <laughs> according to my friends who are looking. Um, but yeah, I think there's it's just blooming again between restaurant groups and independent. Um, but at the end of the day, New York has way more independent restaurants. Yeah. Uh, New York city, obviously has way more independent restaurants than it has restaurant groups. Yeah. Like that. The city is very individually minded. I don't know how all these people do it. It's true that like small business owners are so brave <laughs> because it's really a lot of people just doing it on their own. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's wild. So tell us a little bit more about the newsletter. It, it's just launched, and you know what can someone uh, expect from it? So it launched, yes, on the 22nd, and it's weekly. Um, and basically, um, my background is in service journalism, which is just helping people figure things out. Um, I've been doing that for a long time. And, uh, you know, there's so much choice <laughs> And so my job is, and the purpose of the newsletter is just to make it, to create something, a digestible, you know, weekly dispatch of the choices and mm. hopefully feel people like, make people feel like they have like a semi curated, you know, um, like a semi curated guide to eating in New York. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm not like, I'm not like a pitchfork. I'm not going to be like, this place sucks and this place <laughs> rocks. Like I, that's, I'm not a critic. I have like, I'm, that's not really my bag. Mm-hmm. People like what they like. There's restaurants that are crazy popular where, you know, the food is okay at best, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because people who go there love it. And yeah. that's fine. People love what people love. Right. So I'm just trying to be, I'm, but for anyone who's like, like me, felt like they kind of just lost the thread of what it's like to eat here, whether they are from here or they're not. Like, I just want to be like, let's do this together. Let's explore our own backyard again, because we live in one of the most exciting places in the world to eat food, where you can eat cuisines from like 80 different countries (laughs) if you want. And they're all in, and all of them are in Queens. And it's like, (laughs) you know, I think it's, um, it's just an exciting time. And also just kind of getting to, chronicle the reawakening of our restaurant scene um it's been slow going but now i feel like we're kind of it's kind of bursting now we're hitting like you know now we're getting you know one or two places opening maybe three four whatever at least multiple places opening per week Hmm. which was how it was before the pandemic during the pandemic you were lucky if a new place was opening like every other week Mm -hmm. so um but we're definitely hitting that cadence of like, okay, new places, new places, new places. And, you know, New York definitely restaurant, <laughs> the restaurant culture here can be like burn bright and fast mm-hmm. and then go out really quickly. But the new, they just keep on coming and there's always a project that's in the works and coming soon. And that's so, so exciting. And that's what I want to chronicle. And, but I'm also looking at, you know, in my mind, the New York city, um, the New York City, I won't, I won't say metropolitan area because I think it's really insulting to be like, Philadelphia is the sixth <laughs> borough. Um, that's, it is disrespectful. I love Philly too much to say that about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Philly is only two hours away. Yeah. So why don't we go eat in Philadelphia? Why don't we go eat in New Haven? Mm-hmm. Why don't we go eat in Jersey City? Why don't we go eat, you know, 
there's um on in the Hamptons on Long Island. I in my mind I'm like anywhere that's kind of within a two hour drive of New York City, <clears throat> excuse me, is I'm considering it fair play. Wow. Um because and I'm and then also at its very core, um, you know, all five boroughs, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy, but the you know the new the you know mainstream food folks media whatever you want to call it there's always been local blogs who do the footwork and they're amazing like bowery boogie and all these different local um you know publications but the major publications you know for some even brooklyn is out of the way Mm -hmm. so imagine how queens the bronx (laughs) and staten island are being treated and these are people live here you know there are people who live here they have restaurants they like too and so i'm like last weekend on sunday i got in my car and i drove to the bronx and i ate at two restaurants in the bronx because i was like the bronx counts obviously (laughs) and you know i'm gonna put you know staten island on my calendar soon to go eat in staten island Mm -hmm. because all five boroughs deserve attention. There's good food everywhere. And so just trying to kind of take an, look at, take an eye to all that, knowing still that the majority of new restaurants are still opening in, you know, Brooklyn and Manhattan. But still, all five boroughs deserve a fair shake, and I'm willing and able to give it to them. I have a car, so I can do it, <laughs> you know. It sounds really exciting. I can't wait to check it out. Um, for uh, you know those who are listening and watching, how can they find it? How can they subscribe to it? Um, you can find it at nytimes.com slash newsletter slash where to eat, I believe. Cool. Um, it's also linked on like my Instagram, which is nom nom Nikita, N-O-M, N is in Nancy, and um, also on my Twitter, which is Nikita R-B-K. Uh, it's everywhere. It's been in newsletters. I will. I hope that's the right link. I don't have it off the top of my head. Well, I'll make but, sure and um, we'll find it and put it in the show, show notes, notes for for everything. Yeah. So well, awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking time to uh, to come on the podcast. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, for everybody yeah. who's listening or watching, uh, make sure that well again we'll put the link in the. YouTube and podcast notes. So make sure that you get out there and get the newsletter and subscribe to it. So thank you so much. Awesome. I can appreciate it. This was amazing. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs>well there it is everybody thank you so much for checking out the Eat local new york podcast again i had such a great time talking with nikita and you can subscribe to her newsletter where to eat new york city by checking out the link in the description in our show notes make sure you're subscribed to the Eat local new york podcast that way you can stay up to date every time a new episode is released and don't forget to leave us a review and let us know what you think of the podcast you can also visit us online at eatlocalnewyork.com where you can buy your tickets for the sangria crawl and can pick up your Eat Local New York card. And you can also stay up to date on all our new content, our new blogs and podcasts coming out every single week. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We're going to catch you back here next week on the Eat Local New York podcast.